Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Texts and WhatsApps already starting to come into us, including somebody wondering um, what went on with the match and how could the organisers have got it so wrong. The match, it was a challenge match between Ahina and Passage. Now, see, I mean, this went up on social media yesterday that Ahina had travelled to Passage for a football challenge match, but Passage thought it was going to be a hurling match. So one team turned up thinking we're playing football. The other team turned up with their their hurlies. Uh, so when both teams realised what was going on, Passage refused to play football. Obviously, Ahina couldn't play hurling because they didn't have any hurls with them. So Ahina trained on the pitch and then they went home and obviously Passage just said, well, we're not playing. We're here to play hurling. And Ahina said, well, we're here to play football. And you just wonder how the organisers are, who organised that match and who got that so wrong and did... Did Passage, do they do the right thing by saying, well, we're not going to play football, we're here to play hurling? Do Am I right or wrong in assuming that people who play hurling can also play football? Are are the hurlers not into playing football at all? I don't really know. And I don't know much about either teams, but it just seems bizarre that a team would travel. They're getting all ready. One of the lads was on Snapchat saying they were in the dressing room getting ready. They were all set. Suddenly they saw the other team walking around with Harleys in their hands saying, what's going on here? And then they realised there had been a bit of a mix-up and whoever organised it hadn't decided what game they were actually going to uh, play. If anybody can throw further light on that, as I say, it did go up on social media yesterday as well. Let us know, please. And also a text in, uh, and I'm assuming this is picking up on a story we're running with Barry on the news today. The text reads, Patricia, when you're getting Jim Daly on to talk about the new fair deal scheme, when are you getting Jim Daly on to talk about the new fair deal scheme for farmers? It's to be approved today. The story that most people are talking about was the leak. I think it was the Irish Independent had the details of it. So we're waiting for it to actually be approved before. But we'll put a call through to Jim Daly, the, the minister with the responsibility for the fair deal for the farmers and for small businesses to see if he'll be available. But it'll be tomorrow because as I say, we've got to wait for it to be approved by Cabinet uh, first. But anyway, a listener says... Um, All I can tell you is I'm fuming over what I'm hearing so far about this fair deal scheme for farmers. I know of one young farmer who is in his late 20s and he's working off the farm of his parents. His parents are in the better part of a 20 year battle to sort out the land as the young man's grandfather is still the legal owner. Having died without a will 
almost 30 years ago. I can't see this working out as most farmers seem to be married to the land. It's one deal for one and one deal for uh, another. And any of those kind of cases that involves somebody dying without a will, it can literally become a legal nightmare. I can't understand why if he died almost 30 years ago that it hasn't been sorted out by now. It really does sound like there's more going on behind the scenes there that you're obviously that we're not aware of and you're not aware of. But it does bring back that issue again to make sure that you've made a will and that it, you, you're whoever you, you are passing land onto or a house onto or leaving something to that everybody that you're leaving behind knows exactly what you want done when you're dearly departed. But it's just, it's a nightmare when somebody dies without uh, a will but that's not what the fair deal scheme for farmers is about I mean farmers have been crying out for this for a proper scheme to be put in place that will protect farms and farm families into the future and it's also for small businesses I know the emphasis has been on the farming community because I think the farmers have been most vocal and they've been the ones saying how unfair the fair deal scheme has been to farmers and that's why Jim Daly in particular has been working so hard to get it sorted. So we'll hear more about this. But as I say, we're going to have to wait until tomorrow until it is passed by Cabinet and that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. But thank you for your text to 0862103103. And also an email in uh, from D to say, Hi Patricia, I'm wondering, this is an issue that we raised yesterday, I'm wondering how the government intend contacting elderly people with regard to trading down their house. They need to inform us immediately. Will it be somebody calling in person? Will it be somebody over the phone? There are lots of opportune criminals out there who will take the opportunity to cold call on houses to establish the vulnerable in society, i.e. those who live alone. Do the government ever think about these things? And that's uh, sent to Patricia at C103 .ie from D and that's the story that we mentioned yesterday about the Department of Housing and the Department of Financing servicing, surveying older people for their views on downsizing and it's part of research due to be completed in uh, September and people are speculating that it's, it's to do in advance of budget uh, 2020. Well when I looked into it yesterday the Department of Housing confirmed that they had enlisted the company Behaviour and Attitudes in recent weeks to conduct the survey and the survey is going to be of 1,050 older people about their views on you know why would they downsize and what, would in, what incentives would they want uh, to downsize. If it's behaviour and attitudes I'm assuming it's going to be over the phone. I mean I know certainly whenever I've been contacted to do any phone or any service with behaviour and attitudes it's always been over the phone so I'm assuming that's the way that they'll do it. I can't see them cold calling to people because they would be and are very aware of the vulnerability of people and even if somebody does call to do a legitimate survey they will arrive with all of the photo ID and you know you, you can be absolutely sure that everything is above board and if ever anybody calls to your door asking you to take part in a survey and you're not happy even if they give you ID just politely close the door and say look I'm just not interested or else take the details from them close the door ring whoever it is they're purporting to be from and check it out and make sure that it is all above board but nobody no again nobody can force you to take part in any of those surveys be it over the phone or the ones they call to your door I know for example the ones 
the surveys that are done for the listenership figures for the radio station and for all of the radio stations around the country. They're a door to door. They're somebody who calls around and they and they're surveying all over the country. But they, again, will have proper ID with them and they'll be able to tell you exactly what they're doing and who they're doing it for, etc. But again, you don't you never have to take part in any of those surveys if you're willing and able and would like to take part, then please do. But don't, you know, just close the door if you're feeling anyway suspicious or if you're feeling anyway vulnerable. And another great email in from uh, Margaret about the programme yesterday saying Hi Patricia and this is to do with our piece that when I mentioned that we're drowning in plastic I was interested to hear you say about your young niece who's come to live with you who's very conscious about plastic and the awful consequences of what is, what is happening in our seas and waterways. Young people are the future but having awareness is only the start. Our two schools along with many others applied for green flags and fly them with great pride. To gain a green flag the school must be conscious of green ideas and carry out certain tasks throughout the school year. Now, here is where I have a few problems. This year, part of the tasks was a participation in the Neat Street campaign. School children did litter picking around their own schools and the streets nearby. Brilliant idea. And this, I think, should be followed through by class awareness and home education of the area these kids walk every day and how they can help by picking up litter and disposing of it in nearby bins. But alas, this does not happen. I've seen children from local schools buying rolls in the deli and on the way out of the shop, unwrap them and guess what? Drop the packaging on the floor. But what really grates on my nerve is the graduation ceremonies where balloons are released by each graduate. Parents and teachers stand by and video their darlings releasing these helium balloons. Where do they think they go? How much damage do they cause? How long will they last in the trees they get caught in and how many birds will get entangled in them? Think, think forward and leave no uh, trace. Balloon release. Thank you. That's a really good email from Margaret. Thank you for that. Balloon release has been spoken about for the last number of years from an environmental point of view. I mean, that's one of the issues that happens is they can get caught in trees. They can also, the helium ones, the foil ones can come down and they end up in fields with cows, cause all kinds of problems with uh, livestock. We've also, when you see any of those underwater programmes that they do about plastic in the oceans, you will end up seeing the remnants of helium balloons and the string and the ribbons hanging out of them and they get caught up in fish and uh, and I know I watched one programme where they dissected a whale and there was the remains of helium balloons inside in the whale's stomach along with all kinds of other things as well that had been at the end of the ocean so yeah we do need to uh, stop and th- uh, stop and think I didn't know that was part of graduation ceremonies to release balloons so everyone if you're thinking about releasing a balloon Maybe you should stop and think and maybe don't release the balloon uh, next time. Uh, But thank you for your email, Margaret, to Patricia at c103.ie. Coming up on the programme today, are people putting themselves at risk by going for cosmetic procedures, particularly with unregulated providers? This was kicked off yesterday when we heard from the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, say he is thinking of introducing a law that would ban under-18s from going for Botox. 
And he's thinking along the lines of the ban of under 18s being allowed on sunbeds. You're not allowed, if you're under 18 in this country, you're not allowed to use a sunbed and that's only right and proper. So he's saying the same thing should happen for Botox. And that then has led to the whole discussion on how many 18-year-olds are going for Botox then opening up even further. How many young people, you know, over 18 as well, young adults are going for Botox. Well, one consultant plastic surgeon at the Blackrock Clinic in Dublin has come out and he has said there should be a ban on young people under the age of 25 going for Botox on cosmetic fillers. He's even going beyond 18 and he's making the point that um, 25 year olds their face hasn't fully grown yet you're up to 25 and you're still actually growing and the structure of of your face and obviously they're putting themselves at huge risk so they're saying that they, they feel the safer option is at 25 but people under 25 seemingly are going for fillers and lip fillers in particular seem to be very popular and that seems to be all to do with the Jenners and Kylie Jenner in particular who has made a lot of money out of her lip kits But if you've ever watched any of those uh, Keeping Up With The Kardashian programmes, you will know that Kylie Jenner was always very insecure about her lips. And then she started getting work done on it. Then she started getting lip fillers done. And of course, she's a role model for a lot of other younger people. See younger people saying, oh, look how good Kylie Jenner looks. I want to look like that as well. So lip fillers seem to be the in uh, thing. Who's funding the lip? Fillers. I mean, if a young person, 18, 19, 20, now I know some of them will be out at work and they'll be able to pay for them themselves. I would hate to think that there's any parents out there saying, yes, you know, my darling is feeling a bit insecure about her lips and she wants her lips to look like Kylie Jenner off the telly. So I'll pay for the lip fillers because these kind of things do not come cheap. So we are going to discuss that. Your thoughts welcomed on cosmetic procedures. Have you had Botox would you recommend it? Or would you be fearful of ever putting anything like that into your face or any part of your body? Botox doesn't just only go in your face. Uh, your thoughts are welcomed. We heard yesterday on the news on the latest Irish Business Against Litter survey. Mixed results for Cork. So we'll pick through the Cork results on the programme. Also hearing a call on the government to do more to encourage young people to take up apprenticeships. We are in the middle of the Leaving Cert examinations, probably one of the most stressful time of a young person's life. I don't think any other exam will ever be as stressful as this week, week and a half of the Leaving Cert uh, exam. But not all children and young people are made for university or are made to go on to a third level education. And the other option for many people would be to go for apprenticeships. But apprenticeships and I don't know why this is the case, seem to have fallen out of fashion in recent years. And there seemed to be the whole push seemed to be about gaining the maximum points in your leaving search, going on to university, getting your degree, getting your master's degree, going on for your doctorate. But that isn't, that doesn't suit everybody. And so there's got to be a role and there will always be young people who will be more suited to apprenticeships. So we need to encourage people. We need to let young people know that it isn't all about getting the 500 points and you're leaving certain going on to university that apprenticeship might just be for you. So what can the government be doing to encourage more apprenticeships and are there vacancies 
for apprenticeships and if so where what industries are screaming out for uh, apprenticeships there's an I was an art exhibition happening this weekend by the wonderful Paralympian Tom Leahy from Ballyhooley in North Cork we're going to find out more about that on the programme today and then after half past 12 today Joe is going to be talking about overuse of technology are we have we all become addicted to technology people will say young people have become addicted but it isn't just young people you go anywhere now and you will see people with smartphones if you're out in any sort of a social event the amount of people of all ages that are on their smartphone on their tablets um, at home there's very there's a lot of conversations have ended because everybody seems to be their head buried into a phone or a tablet or on their laptop or on their uh, computer so have we become addicted and do we all need to sort of do a little bit of a do we need to look at the amount of time we spend online and maybe start to regulate it and start to say no let's limit the amount of time we spend so we'll talk with Joe about that later on talking about are we addicted to technology which we're going to be talking about later on in the programme Dermot says hi Patricia I have three teenage daughters the only time they talk to me is when they want money (laughs) they spend so much time on phones and on tablets uh, etc but you wonder is that just part of being teenagers they will grow out of that Dermot and they will once again remember their dad and we'll talk to you I promise you that Okay on the Ahina oh this is the when I mentioned the uh, Ahina travelled to Passage for a football challenge match uh, while Passage thought it was hurling when both teams realised that the other team wanted to play a different sport Passage refused to play football so Ahina trained on the pitch and then went home Somebody's pointed out and, and I was I was making the point could Passage just not have put down their hurls and gone and played the football and let you know have a football match because it's just a challenge match somebody says Patricia uh, to uh, your analogy about football and hurling do tennis players play badminton okay I did say that I did say I didn't know if they both were, were all dual players and could play both but somebody else has pointed out that Ahina are a football club only some will play hurling and those that do play with another club so if that's be the case would Passage not have known that it couldn't have been a hurling match would they not have known that Ahina are a football club only. It's just somebody somewhere has made a major boo-boo and the boys who turned up to play are the ones then who have uh, suffered the most. Uh, Staying on sport, Patricia, at the start of the Ireland game last night, the two teams lined up with a young person standing in front of each player. The president shook the player's hand and completely ignored the children. I was disgusted with a man who pretends to be all for children in sports, etc. Lead by example, Mr. President. He should apologise to those uh, children. Mm, Would they be there all night, though, if he was to... Because that's what he does. He'll shake hands with each of the players on both teams. Has he... And and, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen the children being acknowledged. The excitement for the children is the actual walking out onto the pitch and being holding the hand of the player and, and that's the excitement. I don't know, does that, is that, there's rules and regulations and the do's and the don'ts and what the president is to do and who's to talk and who's not to talk and there's a time scale involved, particularly when it's been televised because they've got to get the match on time. So I don't know, could that be an issue that if he was to stop and start interacting with the children, would he be there too long? Anyway, um, We'll give it out to see do would others agree or disagree that the president should have acknowledged the children. Our texter here feels he completely ignores the children, wasn't happy with that. Tom on this is to do with GAA and the televising of a match. Tom is very annoyed. He says 
very unfair that the Cork and Clare match will not be televised this weekend. RTE have decided to show the Limerick tip game instead of the Cork Clare game. Last weekend people had to watch the Cork and Waterford game but if they wanted to watch it on TV they had to watch it on Sky Sports. Tom says not everybody has Sky Sports. Can I say not everyone can afford to have Sky Sports? So he said that now will be two games that Cork are involved with that people will not be able to see on TV. Uh, Tom says, I know that the match is on the radio. I'm delighted and thrilled to have that. But just feels it is unfair that our national TV, that we all pay our licence fee, remember that as well, is not uh, showing these matches and he is jolly annoyed about it. And just on the president not acknowledging the children last night who were the mascots, uh, Dennis in Kinsale says this was a really big occasion for the children. They were there with the big names of Irish soccer, big players, but I, d- uh, but I would agree with the original caller that Michael D. Uh, should have acknowledged the children. I off, I feel sometimes he can be abrupt on certain occasions. I also agree that he should apologise to those children. He should have acknowledged them last night. Whereas Anne in Mallow sees it slightly different and says, who's to say, who's not to say that the children didn't meet President Michael D. Higgins in the tunnel beforehand? We only saw what the cameras uh, caught. Yeah, and the point I make, I just don't know on a time scale, could he have said hi to all of the players and all of the children. 1850 Now the Health Minister is looking at ways to tackle what has been called Ireland's Botox boom. And Minister Harris is considering banning Botox and cosmetic fillers for people under the age of 18. Pat Phelan is co-founder of Sisu Aesthetic Clinic. Uh, he's surprised at this because he says he's never heard of anybody under the age of 18 requesting Botox and Pat Phelan joins me. Good morning to you Pat. Morning Patricia, how are you? I'm very well and and you're welcome. You think the Health Minister is confused over beauticians offering offering lip fillers. How common is that? uh, Pretty common. Um, I walk down the street here. Uh, We have six clinics in the Republic and I walked down the street here in Albert Lumpkin Street and saw a sign up in a nail bar saying um, fillers uh, and the prices out in the window. And, you know, I think, I think for one, we would never treat someone under 18 anyway. Botox is used to soften wrinkles. I mean, <laughs> how many 18-year-olds do you know are wrinkles? Oh, that's it's the fine. first thing I said when I heard this thing. Well, why in God's name would, an under, would anybody 18, uh, even, even in their early 20s, need Botox? It's, it's, there, there's, there's no one... There's no one under 30 would need Botox, to be honest. But okay, what's, what's, the di- is, what's the difference between Botox and a dermal filler? Or are they all the same? dermal filler is something that goes in your cheek, your jaw, or your lips. That's traditionally where you see it. So if someone has a loss of volume in their cheeks or their jawline or their lips, they generally get a dermal filler for volume. Uh, Botox is used to soften wrinkles. So you would see someone with a lot of wrinkles, usually usually above the eyes is where you would see Botox use. So I'm not sure where the confusion has arisen, but, you know, in general, under-18s wouldn't be treated anywhere. But I think what we're seeing is we're seeing an abundance of backstreet clinics, backstreet beauticians, 
hairdressers doing Botox or doing uh, fillers in back rooms because Botox is a licensed drug, as you know. Yeah. So it can't be administered by anybody who isn't a doctor or a dentist. But but the fillers, I mean, you're saying back street. I mean, they're not back street. They're, they're, they're beauticians on the high street who are they're advertising. Exactly. Beauticians on the high street sticking a needle in your face with zero medical qualification. In fact, I saw something the other day which kind of blew me away. A well-known hair removal chain in Ireland talking about their clients, our clients. I mean, Sisu doesn't have clients. We have patients. We're doctors. Doctors treat patients. Yeah, that's the... Because we also have the issue now of people presenting in hospitals after botched procedures. And, and that's, that's, that, that's the real problem here. So a couple of my friends who work in accident emergencies have talked about this publicly. And what happens here is... And we've seen it. We saw one a few weeks ago where a girl presented herself here with her mom and asked, could we help, in tears, a massively swollen black lip that had gotten a filler in a in her lips, in a tattoo studio in Cork. The tattoo studio, the filler came from China, bought on eBay, or bought on Alibaba, sorry. Did, did, we, we had to send her to the accident emergency. But I'm, not, I'm, I'm astounded at what you're saying. But is there any regulation? I mean, are they... Zero. It... Me, and, me and you today can pick up a needle and call ourselves a filler specialist and stick needles in people's faces. God, that's horrific. And it's all... You know what the real crazy part here? It's all based on price. People are chasing bargains with their health. Yeah, when you say you saw a price list, how cheap could I get a lip filler for if I really desperately wanted a lip filler today? 150 euros, cheaper than we can buy the material. Ah. But, But are people not questioning how somebody is managing to offer a service like that. I think people just think, I I think people look at, you know, a price like ours, which is top of the range. Which would be how much for for a lip filler? It would be uh, starting at 300 euros. And you're saying to me that there are no regulations around cosmetic procedures. Me and you can genuinely open today. There is no regulation because what happened was dermal fillers are are classified as a medical device, not a prescription drug. And that's where that's where the issue is. This could all be solved tomorrow if the minister classified dermal fillers as a as as, as a licensed drug. It would be stopped overnight. So Simon Howard saying he's considering banning Botox and fillers for people under the age of 18 is just not going, it's not going far enough. Yeah, it's not going Well, here's the thing. I I genuinely, and I would say this, I would say very few people would treat an under 18 even for a dermal filler. Mm. So I think think it's it's a pointless exercise. I think there's a very simple way of solving this. Classify dermal fillers. As, as a licensed drug and the whole thing goes away. And then it would, it, would, it would stop. But I saw, I read a piece from, it was a plastic surgeon at the Blackrock Clinic in, in Dublin uh, and he was uh, uh, he was saying that they shouldn't be carried out on anybody under 25 as the faces are still growing until that age. Would you would you work on people under the age of 25? We would. We would, for definite. We would. 
Does that bother uh, you that their face no structure isn't? Not at all. I think I think over under eighteen is a child. Over eighteen is an adult. I think it's pretty much up to people themselves once they're over eighteen. And we wouldn't see anybody under eighteen. I mean, because we're because my partners are doctors, and we only use full time doctors in all our clinics. Uh, they're, you know, they've got a, a tingly sense if there's any issues, etc. And we turn away a lot of people. A lot of people over eighteen, we turn away. Okay. What What is the most common age for the people coming into you? Mostly over, mo- mostly thirty five. Over certainly over thirty. And the most common procedure? Uh, Botox. In the face? Yeah. Have, have you had it done yourself? I have. <laughs> and and, and I'm, I shouldn't be laughing because a lot of men go for Botox. It's, it's quite we're, popular we're now. To, we're about 30% men. There you go. From all walks of life. Now be very honest. How painful is it? Nothing. Nothing. You're sticking a needle into it. Where would you get yeah, it over? It's a, it's, it's a very mucky, it's a tiny, tiny needle. I was going to say you only feel a little prick, but <laughs> we <obviously> will. <laughs> and you get it in the forehead? Is that where you get it? In the forehead, I've, I, I've these double lines over my eyebrows that drive me mad. Ah, Pat, most people do. And and how long does it last? It la- it lasts for ninety days. And then you can just get it again. Just get it again, and you know, very simple. Your body absorbs it, and I mean, it, it takes it genuinely takes five seconds. And are we in the middle of a Botox boom? I think we're, do you know what we are? I think we're in the middle of uh, an Instagram boom. Yeah. Where, you know, if you remember, you know, I'm not sure of your own age, but if you remember years ago, news and I suppose world glamour reached us a lot later. Yeah, yeah. You know, we yeah, well now it's, it's or and now it's instant. It's instant, you know, yeah. Kim Kardashian does something last night at an event. It's on Instagram this morning. And I think what you have is you have this, uh, I, I think people want to look the best they can. Yeah. And, I and think there's nothing wrong with that. Any there's way there's nothing want, wrong you know, with that. You also see an explosive growth of the makeup industry and the hair industry on the same channels. Yeah, it just worries me when young people can't just look in the mirror and be happy with themselves. And I know somebody was, we were talking earlier about, you know, the Kylie Jenner generation. I mean, she was the one beautiful looking girl, but she wasn't happy with her own lips. So yep. th- that encouraged other young people then to go and let's get let's get lip fillers. I agree. Done. It, do, it it does, but when we're saying you know we mean over eighteen minimum. Yeah. And if there's any sense of you know body dysmorphia etc. Or doctors are trained to pick up on that. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. But your advice this morning is to to anybody just out there just, and just and to parents. To parents who are funding some of this for their young people, just be careful where they're going. Absolutely. Listen, all I'll say is I don't care where you go. I'm not here to plug Sisu. All I would say is if you're leaving anybody with a needle near your face, go to a medical professional. Makes don't sense. go to a hairdresser's. Don't go to a, a backstreet beautician's. Just go to a medical profession. That doesn't bother me where you go. Just don't take chances with this. 
Okay, listen, we leave it there, Pat. Thank you for that. Thanks and thanks. Much, thanks. Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Pat Feeden there of uh, Sisu Aesthetic uh, Clinic. And I'm, I'm really taken aback that that whole industry, that whole cosmetic procedure industry, is not regulated. I think that's where Simon Harris needs to be putting the focus of his attention and not just focusing on under 18s. He needs to just really start to regulate uh, that whole industry. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your course. Text WhatsApp 0862. 103-103. We're bringing the biggest stars to live at the Marquee 2019. Listen this free Ticket Thursday to win your way in. Only on C103. Yesterday, Kilkenny was named as the cleanest area in the country with the announcement of the latest uh, Irish Business Against Litter survey. With a mixed bag of results for us here in Cork, joining me to discuss the latest eyeball survey is Connor Horgan. Uh, good morning to you, Connor. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Connor. firstly, 77% of the 40 towns and cities assessed have been found to be clean. That's a good result, isn't it? That's a good result. That's what we've come to expect in recent years, to be honest. Um, to put it differently, if we take out the cities, and cities, of course, do pose a particular issue when it comes to litter. If we take out the cities, 90% of our towns are clean. So, you know, there's. Um, we've been saying for the last few years that the job is nearly done with our towns. We continue to make sure that local authorities and others keep at the job. And tourist towns and cities also did quite well. It was very heartening to see that at a time when we're about to welcome, hopefully, record numbers of tourists, areas like Kilkenny, as you mentioned, Killarney, another important tourist t- um, town, and the city centres of Dublin and Galway and Cork, also vital for tourism, that they've all fared exceptionally well. So, I think Yeah, because we first all... impression for tourists, uh, and it's something people have a tendency to talk about when they go home. That's right. And, you know, people now, you know, Ireland is a high-cost destination. People coming here demand high levels of litter. And we know from the past, at least, that litter has been a quibble that they've had following a visit to Ireland. But um, And just to add to the positive picture, Patricia, the roads around Dublin Airport were again clean. So great, even great. 70% of our visitors come through Dublin. And again, that's the first positive. view if they hire a car yeah. and, and, and drive away or they're getting a taxi. And Formoy always does well uh, done, and done well again. Uh, cleaner than European uh, norms and the same result for Middleton. And that's right. Both towns inside the top 10. And you know, if you're inside the top 10 now in our chart, you really have arrived. It means for one that you're cleaner than European norms. Or to put in, in in simple terms, it means you're ninety percent clean. In the case of Fermoy, there was just one blemish really that the recycle facility in the car park at the end of Patrick Street was heavily littered, and that was enough to bring Fermoy down to tenth place. Yeah, and I know people in Fermoy will be disappointed uh, with that. That seems to be, and it's an issue we would hear a lot about here, Connor, on the program. The those bring sites, the recycling. What have you any solution to? Well, it's it's to be honest, like from the office here in Dublin, it's hard to, uh, to to come up with solutions. But we do see improvements around the country, sometimes in the design of the uh, recycle facilities, where you know the opportunity to, to to put to squeeze your waste in behind a bin, for example, is no longer there. And yeah. I know there were a number of comments made around the country of complementing new designs in recycle facilities, which seem to to, to uh, have improved a, a situation that has prevailed for a number of years of towns being let down by their recycle facilities. And we need to make sure that they're emptied as soon as they're full. 
absolutely the management yeah. of them of course is fundamental. Yeah, it's, it's, so. it's, it's a big issue. And the, uh, the downside, uh, two areas of Cork City literate, this is disappointing. Yeah, it's disappointing and what's also disappointing is that in the case of Mahan, for example, which was, again, littered, the examiner could could find little uh, improvement over previous years. Um, there was a litter black spot and a litter black spot tends to mean dumping. That was the case yeah. at Lakeland View um, where the uh, it was in a shocking state, according to the examiner, clearly used as a dumping ground for domestic rubbish and soiled nappies and black sacks described as a health hazard in fact so um, I suppose the good news is Patricia that if when a town has a litter blackfoot it's something that can be fixed you know and if if the local authority just gives more attention to this particular site that should see man improve in our next ranking Dumping therefore Connor, is still uh, an issue and I know some will cite bin charges as the as the reason for this particularly the dumping of domestic Yes, I mean, we've spoken about it before, Patricia. There's no doubt that the more you charge for people to get rid of their waste, the more a certain um, proportion of those people will try to avoid those charges by dumping. Um, It was noticeable that, you know, the word dumping appeared in our Antashka report probably more frequently this time than in the past. Um, And we're making the point that, you know, dumping isn't restricted to outlying areas outside of public view. There were lots of cases of dumping right in our cities. Thankfully, not so much in our towns. Um, a conclusion we would draw from this year's survey is that you know dumping is an issue specifically for city areas. It's probably outside of towns rather than inside towns. Okay. All right. So um, just one little black spot, and that was poor old Ballymun in Dublin. Ballymun, and I see the reaction there this morning. Unsurprising that people are disappointed. Yeah. They're a bit demoralised and. Uh, of course, we feel it's our role, you know, to hi- to shine a light on the bad areas and put pressure on local authorities and others to clean them up. And that's the case with Ballymun. We take no joy in uh, branding a, an area a litter black spot. Um, it's the first time we've had a litter black spot in over three years. So that's yeah, we've been doing, yeah, places have been doing so well. So, so disappointing. All right. Um, and so when's the next survey out, Connor? Well, we'll have a survey, we'll have our second coastal survey of uh, beaches and rivers and harbours um, in the month of August. Okay. And then the second round of our league, which we're covering uh, this week, that will take place at the end of the year. Okay, keep up the good work, uh, Connor. We leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining Thank us. You. Good morning to you. That is Connor Horgan of the Irish Business Against Litter. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Vincent in Newmarket, kind of what about us, kind of is apt uh, for the piece that I'm now going to mention. Vincent in Newmarket was on to say, had we seen the front page of the Irish Daily Mirror today? And I had earlier, and it's a headline piece on the housing crisis. And it is a photograph and a series of photographs. And inside there's a two page spread full of photographs with faces blurred out. And it is what the Daily Mirror says, the shameful images of homeless children forced to queue at a roadside for food. And they're in particular homing in on a mother with her three young children. The youngest is in a buggy, probably a four-year-old, three, four-year-old in a buggy. And then what looks like two other little boys sitting, actually. They're on the They're all sitting on the side. Yeah, they're sitting on a step. They're on the side of the road and the mum is sitting, what looks like some kind of a bollard, all eating uh, pasta with a bolognese sauce. I think there's 
they look like cartons of soup uh, down in front of them. Anyway, they were forced to go for a hot meal to a soup kitchen on a street in Dublin and volunteers are saying that van loads of food for people in emergency shelters are running out after an hour. There's such a queue of people waiting and the demand has gone up by 36%. And the group involved in this particular soup run and, and, and hot food and they give out dinners they're called Feed Our Homeless and they would have been set up a number of years ago and they would have been set up to go out on the streets on a soup run to feed homeless children homeless people in the sense of what we initially thought about rough sleepers you know when we spoke about homeless people that's what we thought about we spoke about Men and women, God help them, were in addiction and, and unfortunately they're still there as well. And they were rough sleepers and they slept on park benches and they slept in, in doorways. And they, they're all over the world, unfortunately. There isn't a, a city in the world that doesn't have rough sleepers. And then thankfully there are great charities and great volunteers that go out at night and they do soup run and they check up on them and, and they make sure they're OK. And that's what those charities and those volunteers got involved for. But somewhere along the line in this country, we've ended up with so many families becoming homeless and ending up in emergency accommodation and in the main the emergency accommodation is a hotel room or in a B&B and any of us that have ever stayed in a hotel room will know you can't cook a dinner for three children inside in a hotel room you'll have a kettle uh, and that's it and you're not going to be able to cook a dinner inside in a kettle so families are in a real pickle if they're to eat out all the time they're going to run out of money. They're not going to have enough money to feed themselves for the entire week. So what's now happening is these families are forced to rely on these soup kitchens and bringing the entire family down in order that they'd have a hot dinner. And if they didn't queue up yesterday on the side of the street, those children would probably have gone to bed uh, hungry last night. But the food banks now are saying they can't cope with the demand. And looking at the pictures in the paper today, I mean, there's children as young as two in the queue, in their buggies, queuing with the mammies and the daddies waiting to get a hot meal and then it's just it's to see them sitting on the side of the road I mean God thank God we have the likes of Katrina Toomey and Penny Dinners where they're, they're welcomed in and they can sit down and they make it feel and it looks as much like a restaurant as, as any other restaurant would be but for for Dublin obviously the situation has just gone so bad they don't have facilities like that where they can have them all inside so literally they get their food and they get it on paper plate and they eat it there and then because they can't walk through the streets of Dublin back to their hotel with it it'll be gone cold so they sit down and eat it on the side of the road it really is uh, shocking Vincent in Newmarket really taken aback by that story as I say making the front page of the papers today 185333103 some of your texts coming in Eddie in Ovens this is to do with the President and people giving out that he didn't shake the hands of all of the children at the football match last night Eddie in Ovens says I bet the President will be shaking hands with plenty of people over next weekend at the Gay Pride weekend question mark Eddie and Oven so what's wrong with that why shouldn't he be shaking hands with people at Gay Pride I don't I don't understand your logic on that uh, Eddie Jim in Ballincollig says good morning Patricia the President did acknowledge the first three or four children last night but it looks like there was a quiet word in his ear would you move on there please Mr President uh, to Jim in Ballincollig thank you Jim and that was the, I didn't see the footage that people were talking about but that was my instant reaction because we've seen President Michael D. Higgins with children we've seen him being lovely and friendly and encouraging to uh, children and you know for somebody to say that he was rude I could never imagine our darling president being rude to anyone and I was wondering was it a time scale issue that match was being televised had to start on time because it has to end on time and when you're 
the rules of the TV are engaged. They really are very, very strict. So I think maybe that was it. Maybe he was trying to say hi to everybody, but just from a time point of view, was told, move on there. We need to keep going. OK, other issues. We're going to be talking in a couple of minutes about how we need to be encouraging more young people to go into apprenticeships. Hi Patricia, on exams. If everybody goes on to a third level education, who do people think will end up building our homes, grow our food, repair our cars, repair our household appliances? Too much emphasis today goes on exam grades and the point system after leaving search. A young person's happiness and mental health are far, far more important. I left school at the age of 15 and I did unskilled, low paid work all of my life. I'm now in my mid 60s and I can honestly say, though I may not have had a lot of money in the bank, my life has been very rich in happiness and contentment. Wow, what a lovely, lovely text. Well done. And thank you for that. And yeah, and if we could get that message across to so many young people, particularly the ones doing their leaving cert. We said it at last week when the exams were starting. You, you are not defined by this one examination, but it's to try to get that through to people. And good to know that you've had such a, a life rich in happiness and contentment. And, you know, if we could all look back in our lives and say, you know, we mightn't have had money. We mightn't have had everything. We mightn't have had what the person next door had. We mightn't have been able to keep up with the Joneses. But we had a life rich in happiness and contentment. By God, I, I think a lot of people would, would be happy to take that. Thank you for your text to 86 Also on text, a Douglas sister. My electricity bill came to €18.49. But then they added a standing charge, PSO and VAT, which came to €48.61, bringing my bill to €67.10. Isn't that exorbitant, said a Douglas listener. And there's not much you can do about that. You know, we're all being encouraged to change providers when it comes to electricity and to check in on your car insurance and, you know, and um, ring around, that's what I'm trying to say, and compare prices don't go for the first quote that you get and it's the same with your electricity bill any of your utility bills there are other providers on the market gone are the days where you had one electricity provider one phone provider and you had no choice you just had to pay the bills and that was it but in this particular case of this listener they don't use a lot of electricity 18 euro and 49 cent is a very low amount of electricity to use but and even if you decide to change providers, you're still going to have the standing charge, the PSO and and the VAT. But it does seem quite exorbitant that it is over double and a half your electricity bill is going on charges rather than the actual use of electricity. Yeah, I can sense your frustration, that's for sure. Actually, on car insurance, my car insurance has come in. I think everybody's noticed the car, none of the car insurances are going down. I'm slightly above I think what I got last year which kind of annoys me because nothing's changed I'm a good safe driver never had a claim don't have penalty points and really when I saw it and I'm one of those ones that I need to start practising what I preach because for ease of convenience oh sure I'll just pay it and I got annoyed when I saw it yesterday and I said no I'm going to set aside an afternoon or an evening <laughs> I'll start doing compare online I'll let you know how I got on if I managed to reduce it in any way because it is frustrating because there was a time where all of our car insurance was coming down but now it's started to creep up and it's gone back up again and it's getting expensive and it's just particularly when you know you're, you haven't had a claim 
in you're a safe driver you don't have the penalty points I absolutely would be the first to say if I'd picked up penalty points or I'd had a claim I'd be the first to say of course I'm going to pay more but when everything stays the same then you know we should be getting some kind of a, a thank you and some kind of a payback for being good safe uh, drivers now on what's app we have what's into us here oh Jim says Patricia I just saw that Podrick Carney who was a member of the last Mayo team to win the All-Ireland football title has died at the age of 91 he was known as the Flying Doctor as he flew from New York to Mayo for a few years while playing but retired at 26 due to his work as a doctor and all of the flying obviously was getting to him there is now only one living member of the last Mayo team who won the last All-Ireland. And remember, there was a curse put on them. And until every member of that team died, Mayo would never win the All-Ireland. Remember that? So Jim says maybe the curse might be lifted and Mayo might finally win that uh, elusive All-Ireland. Wouldn't you be feeling for the last one remaining player? But let's remember, Podrick Carney. May he rest in uh, peace. Now also, hi Patricia, this is on Botox. Hi Patricia, I definitely think Botox etc should be regulated. Look at the cast of Geordie Shore. They've ruined their faces and they're all young women. Looking at the Pirro series recently, the women aesthetically were naturally beautiful. They were simply gorgeous. Now women on TV seem to all look so fake. And a lot of that is down to the facial work and the fillers and the Botox that they're having. On the other side, my cousin had Bell's palsy. Over uh, for over a year. A clinic recommended Botox to balance part of her face. A consultant was mocking. I wouldn't give it to her. Set her, really set her back. The poor girl. So Botox can have a place for people. It's not just for young people. Oh, what a horrible consultant. She should come. See, they're the kind of things you need to complain. If somebody is mocking you when it was recommended that you go for what is a lot of people see as a cosmetic procedure but Botox has been used medically and is successfully used medically. I've interviewed people over the years who will talk about various treatments where they'll say they had Botox Botox injections by a doctor for a medical reason not anything to do with it being for cosmetics and it has worked so but yeah that consultant you should, you should have reported the consultant thank you for, for your uh, WhatsApp and then hi Patricia this is later on in the programme we're going to be talking about are we all hooked on technology do we need to put down our phones and our tablets and communicate more and you know look at the world don't look at it through a camera don't be looking at it through your, your phone uh, Hi Patricia on the issue of phones I was at Amber in Charleville on Sunday evening there was a young team of lads having an ice cream there was about 15, 15 of them and I noticed them because not one of them had a phone in their hands. All the lads, they were 14 or 15 years old, so they're obviously all chatting and smiling and laughing and having the bands and having their ice cream. Mary said, I was very proud of them and proud to see them without phones in their hands because that is unusual to have 15, 14 or 15 year olds without some of them being on their phones. So well done. I don't know what that team was. They were obviously stopping up to have, uh, stopping off to have an ice cream or they were a local team at the end of a match or the end of a training session and they're all having an ice cream together at the Amber uh, Station in uh, Charleville. Well done. 1850 uh, Lines are open. John Paul taking your course. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. 
A staff nurse is wanted. It's for a well-established North Cork nursing home. Full-time Arctic driver is needed. It's to carry out deliveries. It's around Cork City and the county. An experienced snagger slash handyman is wanted. That's to work in the Fomoy area. You need to supply your own tools and hold a valid safe pass. And Fastnet is recruiting for multiple operator roles with global life science companies and it's based in the wider Cork area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. With this year's Leaving Certificate examination into its second week, the message to students is this one exam will not define you and it is well known that university isn't for everyone. So what about apprenticeships with a call on the government to do more to encourage people to take up apprenticeships? I'm joined by West Cork Dáil Deputy Margaret Murphy O'Mahony. Good morning to you Margaret. Good morning Patricia. Um, you're welcome. Is our educational system too focused on young people going to third level to do a degree course and is it all about the points system? In my opinion it certainly is Patricia which is a huge shame Um, I think apprenticeships need to be seen as an alternative career choice for the sake of the students themselves Um, not every student wants to go to college or university and apprenticeships offer the opportunity to learn essential skills through theory and practice And another serious issue, Patricia, in time, if these trends continue, we will have a very serious skill shortage. So it's kind of a double whammy, really, why I am calling on the government to improve their efforts, not only for the children themselves, but indeed for us all. How do we make apprenticeships more attractive? Well, I think, Patricia, that, um, you know, the government really needs to promulgate a new attitude towards apprenticeships to try and grow and encourage the spread of them and also to highlight the value of them and the need for people to consider it as a career option and, you know, something that is available, worthwhile and very importantly that it is equal to the traditional third-level route. I think the mindset of us all and indeed the government needs to change. And I think, you know, they could encourage large technology companies to offer apprenticeships, um, you know, in software engineering, online security, web development, data centre management, uh, legal and policy roles. Um, In other countries, the likes of Facebook, Amazon and Google offer apprenticeships. So I think that's one route that this government could go down. And I also think that uh, they should support Irish businesses to uh, offer apprenticeships across various sectors, such as childcare, hair and beauty, hospitality, um, like as in waitressing, reception, accommodation, beverage industry. But what about so, the tra- about the traditional trades? I mean, you think of an apprenticeship, you think of plumbers, electricians, tilers, yes, builders. Yes. Yes. Now, unfortunately, Patricia, in last year, um, there was a target of apprenticeships. Uh, so the so-called everyday apprenticeships, they yeah. were set at 1,500. Now, unfortunately, only 410 people started down this route. So we had only 57 people registering to become bricklayers, 24 for plastering, and not one single person for wall tiling. So it's as I said earlier, if this continues, there will be a huge skill shortage. Yeah. The Restaurant Association also says that the chef shortage is widening by over 3,000 a year. 
And what's also uh, quite startling, Patricia, is the percentage of female apprenticeships of the total apprenticeship population varies between 2 and 5% over the last years. So, I mean, this is one of Ireland's most unbalanced gender statistics, and that is very, very worrying. Do schools, though, have a role to play here in, in selling I, the apprenticeship to students? Yes, very much so. I think the mindset of, of us all, and including those involved in the educational system, I think they really need to show that it is an alternative and it, that it is every bit as good as going to university or college or or any other thing, really. You know, I think that it's just has to be seen as as important and as achievable. And do we have good standards of apprenticeship? I mean, are, are the qualifications recognised all over the world? Yes, we have an excellent um, standard of, of that. And um, so with a lot of our people going to Australia and America uh, would have trades. So they are very, very much recognised and very well trained. It's just, I think, to get people into them or to want to get into them is what I'm um, trying to achieve. And I suppose with the changes in CEO forms and things, the deadline coming, um, I would be encouraging people, you know, to maybe just have, have a rethink. That it's, yeah. you know, and, going and, to and you, and you, the end. Yeah, because you, yeah, you don't go through, do you go through CSO for apprenticeships? Some of them, yes. Yeah, some of them and others you apply uh, apply directly to CIT, etc. And uh, I do welcome CIT that receive funding, um, or Cork IT as it's called now, to support apprenticeship programmes and they, uh, you know, they're going to uh, upgrade their machines and things um, with this money. So I very much welcome that. But I think uh, the broader picture needs to be looked at. Okay, a listener by text says, Patricia, my son would love to do an apprenticeship in carpentry, but because he has dyspraxia, no one will give him a chance. He's done a course in St. John's College and is brilliant with his hands, but unfortunately, no luck. Oh, that's yeah, tough. again, that's very tough, especially, obviously, that young man um, has a talent and... Uh, again, I think there should be ways around that. Yeah. I mean, he'd obviously yeah. make a very good carpenter. Absolutely. You know? All right, Margaret. Listen, thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. That is Fianna Fáil, West Cork Doll Deputy Margaret Murphy O'Mahony. Joan says parents are actually pushing children towards college and university. Some are wishing their children to live their parents' dream rather than their own. A lot of children do not even want to go on to third level, would rather go another route, but it's the parents who don't want to hear about the other route. There's a, about a kind of a snobbery around it. I know parents, I know students who'd love to have done apprenticeships, for example, to be electricians, but the parents were pushing for something else for third level qualification. And that's that's not nothing new. I often talk about somebody I went to school with who went on to do medicine and along with there was three, I think even four boys in the house. Anyway, they all did medicine because it was what Mammy and Daddy dreamed of, that all their boys were going to go on to be doctors. And all of them went, went to medical school, did their stint as junior hospital doctors. And 10 years after, not one of them is working in a medicine. None of them wanted to become doctors, but as well, Mammy and Daddy wanted at the time, and we're talking, this would have been back in the 80s. And not, as I say, not one of them, not one of them. In fact, one of them I know I heard about many years later because my brother met him over in London and he was working as a carpenter doing bespoke windows in some 
workshop in London and he said it's all I ever wanted to do oh, I always ever wanted to work on my hands but he said my parents wouldn't listen they just would not listen so you do have to be careful if you're deciding to push your children in one direction be careful that you know exactly what the young person wants to do can I go back to something I saw that I want to give a mention to from Mary hi hi Patricia dare I mention the dirty word of water charges they are lurking again in the background I read and heard where Irish Water is to put a proposal to the regulator to introduce a charge of up to 500 euro on people who waste water. No problem with it myself as I do believe it's important not to waste water but are we going to go back to the whole debate around water charges and I actually read about this yesterday and I did Mary I had the very same thought as you thinking ah I really don't know if I can cope with everything that we went through with water charges all of the protests and we did endless hours of interviews on it but it seems they reckon up to 70,000 households could face a water charge. It could be, Mark, uh, Mary's right, it could be up to uh, €500. Euro. The Commission for the Regulation of Utilities is expected to make a decision by the end of this month. Now, this is proposals that have been submitted by Irish Water. They now want to charge households. Now, only households who are found to be using water excessively. They, they need to go to the regulator though the regulator has to give the consent and if the regulator gives the consent to the plan from Irish Water it'll mean a limited reintroduction of water charges for homes. When did we last have water charges? They're, they're, they were suspended three years ago would you believe it was three years ago and we all remember how unpopular they were and we all remember the widespread political opposition uh, to it. Now what are Irish Water proposing? They are saying €1.87 for every thousand litres used above a threshold of 213 thousand litres per year. See, all of those numbers, I have no idea how much water is 213,000 litres. It sounds like a lot of litres anyway. So they're saying it's people who use water excessively. And the charge will be capped at €250. But the reason that the 500 figure is coming into it, there would also be a cap of €250 on water out. So water in, water out, out. So that's where the cap would be charged at €500. Less than 1 million, which is about 60% of the state's domestic dwellings have water meters because straight away you're thinking sure I don't have a water meter I'll be okay about this so there's 40% of people who either Irish water didn't get around to or we know the protesters were out stopping people putting meters in so the 40% of unmetered homes Irish water say they will do an investigation process to identify which of them are using water excessively they claim they can do it I don't know the first step would be to use a district meter and then they'd use an on-site investigation and they'd pinpoint where most water is being used in an area where nobody has meters where a resident is identified the occupants would be offered a meter so that you could be absolutely sure that you're the household wasting water in the area. The regulator said the charges for unmetered customers were necessary in the interest of fairness. They say if Irish Water are unable to charge unmetered customers, excess charges would then become discriminatory. Now the regulator's plan, if it's accepted, and we won't know until the end of the month, the utility then will issue its first notification to customers later this summer. Now the first notification won't be a bill. It'll be a call to action. 10% of all Irish water customers they say use excess amounts of waters but some of that could be down to leaks and if it is down to leaks you'll, you'll be notified 
you'll get this call to action and then obviously you'll be able to check and if they discover a leak they, that first fix is still free so they can offer to do that for you to reduce the amount of water you're using and then those who are found to be using excess amounts of water you'll be given 12 months to bring your water use below the threshold and obviously then if this family member has a medical issue and you can claim why you're using so much water there'll be exceptions made and if you've got more you know, if it's a large family, you can say you're using extra water. There'll be exceptions made uh, there. So the first bills for excess use would be issued from October of the following year. So it would be next year. So there will be a lot before the first bills will come out. The first would be the call to action. But you have been warned, if you are somebody that's using excess water, it does look like the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities will give the go-ahead later this month to Irish Water to start charging for excess water. So a limited type of Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Water charges will be back in. That's not going to go down well with some people. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Theresa Bandon says Deputy Margaret Murphy O'Malley talking sense like she always does on the apprenticeship issue. Well done to Margaret. And Martha in Carrigaline said my friend's son did an apprenticeship with a pharma company while others were talking to him and saying no you need to go on to third level education you need to go to university and some actually looked their nose down at the idea that my friend's son was actually doing an apprenticeship. He was made permanent with the company following his apprenticeship. He now would you believe is earning more money than his friends who went to college got their degrees and didn't have time for an apprenticeship. Well done Martha. Martha, thank you for that. 1850-333-103. Now next weekend, My Place in Middleton will host a very special art exhibition by Paralympian Tom Leahy from Ballyhooley in North Cork to discuss the exhibition and to ch- talk about Tom's incredible life. I'm joined by Karen Savage who is organising the art exhibition. Good morning to you Karen. Hi Patricia, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now Tom Leahy, for those who don't know, there will be a number of people in North Cork who will be well aware of Tom, but I'm conscious of people outside the area who won't know who Tom is. Tom was born with cerebral palsy. Describe how Tom's cerebral palsy has affected him. So it's affected him in many ways really. So Tom's diagnosis is actually cerebral palsy splash spastic hemiplegia. So basically it means that the muscles on Tom's left side are tighter than those on his right. So in in simplest terms it's basically he has no control over the left side of his body. Um, his right arm he uses for his sport, for his Paralympic sport and also for his painting that he absolutely loves. Um, his right leg, he has the ability to move it but most of the time his right leg is used to control his left. So his left arm then kind of does whatever he wants whatever it wants he's often heard jokingly commanded to behave even though it it doesn't pay any attention but um he's an incredible man and i first met him um a couple of years ago probably three or four years ago at this stage um i volunteer in lourdes the last six years as a volunteer with klein diocese and i met tom he was sitting by himself by a window and hoping that somebody would come and talk to him because 
it also incredibly affects his speech, his verbal um, speech. So in a crowd full of people, it's quite difficult to understand what he's saying a lot of the time, unless you're in a quiet space that you can talk to him. So Tom will often sit by himself, hoping that someone will come and talk to him in the, in the quiet space to have a conversation. And as Tom often says himself, that people see the wheelchair before they see him. Yeah. Because they see him as this person that's confined to his body, where his mind is absolutely perfect. And only if you can take the time to listen and understand what he's saying, he's absolutely perfect. Well done, um, well done. And has he yeah, always so, had an interest in sport? Yeah, so um, growing up, obviously, he's had this since birth. So growing up, he's had his parents were incredibly good to him um, and he had to find a way, an outlet to be able to combat his disability in a way. So he was very much into sport and it built up his muscles as well and it also meant that because day to day he has to control his body from lashing out and doing whatever it wants that that strength from sport really helps him to be able to, to do that and to, to control it in that way so absolutely he's been involved or he was involved with uh, the Irish Paralympic team for, for many years um, and thankfully as a result he ha- he acclaimed eight medals for Ireland uh, three golds two silver and three bronze so yeah his, his sporting achievement is incredible incredible yeah especially when I think Paralympians don't get enough recognition in yeah. this country Shameful. when you think of the fact that Ireland in the Olympics itself has been involved since 1924 and Ireland has nine Olympic gold medals in total. In the Paralympic Games, Tom has three gold medals just himself. So I think it's an incredible achievement. Um, And it's a shame that he's not a household name. I think if it was an able-bodied person, it would be a household name all across the country. You're right. You're so so right. And it always annoys me when the, because the Paralympics are held right after the normal Olympics and it doesn't get the same coverage on TV, on radio, on the papers. And the athletes train as hard, if not harder in some cases, as the able-bodied athletes do. Completely, because they have to also overcome um, the different abilities that they have to be able to play the sport they do. It's incredible. Tom, uh, the the difficulty with Tom's uh, speech, would you say that's probably one of the most frustrating parts of his disabilities? Absolutely, yeah, because... He, he has some incredible ideas about the world and he has some incredible... Um, I, I've had some incredible, interesting conversations with him myself and it's such a shame that if he's in a crowd of people that he can engage in a conversation that's happening even though mentally he's perfectly capable to and he has just as valid points as anybody else. But because of his speech impediment, it's much harder for him to get his points across because it obviously takes a lot more concentration for people to be able to listen to what he's saying. And as well, I think in the world, it's so fast-paced now that we don't have the time to sit and take that time out to listen to maybe what might take five minutes for Tom would take 30 seconds for somebody else to be able to get across. Um, But the speech definitely has been something that's been incredibly difficult for him and because it's it's a lot harder for him and groups of people to be able to talk as well. He spent a lot of his time on his own. So in a lot of his paintings, you don't see many people. And if you do, they're either tending to the land or they're working on the land and things like that. They're not the centre focal point of the pictures because he spends most of his life on his own. When when did he start to paint, Karen? He's been painting all his life and he's been sculpting as well. Um, 
he's done some incredible sculptures of little clay villages. He's also, uh, one of his biggest pieces um, was made from matchsticks. Um, he, he replicated the church in Ballyhooley. He used that as his idea for this church. Um, and it's it, made completely out of matchsticks, all of the inside of the church, the pews. He has a little organ made out of matchsticks. He has um, little that's a, that sounds like in, in, That sounds inc- incredibly intricate. Absolutely, yeah. It took him two and a half years in total to complete it. Now, he did it between the ages of 18 and 21, so he was much younger and, as he says, as he says himself, a lot more agile. Um, but he always he's the worst critic of his own work. He would love to redo the whole thing now, but um, it's it's an incredible piece of work. So he does a lot of sculpting and, and uses other forms as well. He also uses a lot of sand in his art um, so as different textures. Describe so, yeah, some of his paintings. So he, he paints a lot of landscapes. It's mainly landscapes he paints okay. because being in the house by himself, he, he looking out the windows and he lives in the countryside um, in Ballyhooley in North Cork. So it's landscape he sees the whole time as opposed to people mainly. So it's, and it's a lot of images from even Google Images and things like that as well because he, he doesn't really get to leave the house. He is wheelchair bound and he lives by himself and he does have a PA and a carer that come um, during the week. But they're not insured to take him out. So I know I visited him, visited Tom um, just before Christmas and he hadn't left the house since August. So he is incredibly housebound. So I found his art. Just, uh, go, go, go back. I'm, I'm just, I'm blown away by something you just yeah. said. They're not insured to take him out. His PA is not insured to take him out. Well, the PA is it, the PA is there. Sometimes he'll go to um, if he goes to talks and things like that. But no, they, it, there's no insurance there to actually be able to take him out. He'll have to depend on a family member or or someone like that to be able to actually take him to the different events if he needs to go. So, say for this art exhibition, I'll to collect we're it just, myself. We're gone mad with this, all this bloody red tape and insurance, I and know, everybody strange, covering their own backs. It's just yeah. So, so for Tom to attend his own art exhibition, you're going to go pick him up, is it? Yes, yeah. Um, we'll be setting it up in Middleton on the Friday before the opening on Friday evening, and I'll be driving to Ballyhooley myself to collect Tom and bring him back. Have um, you a wheelchair accessible vehicle? No, but Tom, he's so used to living on his own um, and tending for himself and pulling him in and out of the wheelchair um, with his usable right hand. He'll It'll take a, a bit, but he'll be able to pull himself into the car and, and work away himself. But no, I don't have a wheelchair access. God, he's so, he's so, he, you, you're painting an incredible picture of, he's an incredible man, of an incredible is. man. Yeah, he really, really is. And I remember when, when I first met him in Lourdes, probably maybe three, four years ago, I couldn't, I felt ashamed myself that I didn't know who he was and that I was from Cork and that he was this incredible Paralympian that had acclaimed so many medals for Ireland and that he, everyone should know who he was. So I was telling the world who about him. And then um, seeing all of the art he has, he has so much art in his house and he only has a small little house so he was almost running out of room in the house to be able to paint more. So, um, we decided to put together this art exhibition to try and at least showcase his art um, to a wider audience. He held an art exhibition in Formoy a couple of years ago where he's from. Um, he held it for two weeks and only five people turned up. So uh, we're really trying to get the get message as much out. about this as possible. Yeah. Okay, so so you're you're opening it Friday night, is it? Yeah, so the opening is this Friday at six o'clock in my place in Middleton. Um, the opening is going to be by a fellow Paralympian, Orla Barry from Ladies Bridge. So she's going to open the exhibition for us. 
And then this exhibition is also going to continue on Saturday and Sunday from 10 until 4pm. And the pieces are on sale? Absolutely, yeah. So um, even if, if anybody wanted to just come and see the pieces, they'll all be up around. There'll be a cup of tea, there'll be a few biscuits and cakes and absolutely they'll all be on sale as well um, to try and... Oh, it'd, be great to try to sell, it'd be great to sell them, wouldn't it, for them? Absolutely, yeah. It'd be great. And he has some incredible pieces. He's, he's painted a lot of... Um, monuments around the area as well. He's painted a beautiful painting of uh, Middleton Jemison Distillery. He's also painted the Round Tower in Cloyne um, and the Ballycotton Lighthouse. So he has some gorgeous pieces of the area as well as natural landscapes and people farming the land and things like that. Okay, could you WhatsApp us in some of the pictures and we'll put them up on our, on our Facebook uh, page just to give it a bit more uh, publicity because I'd love to get the message out. I'd love to sell out all of the pieces uh, for Tom. He must be absolutely buzzing with excitement. Is he about he the event? Delighted. Yeah. He's absolutely, yeah, he's absolutely delighted. Um, he's been talking about this for quite a while that his dream would be to do an exhibition and finally, thankfully, we're able to do it for him um, and people have been very good um, there's a lot of people that are friends of mine and um, my aunt Margaret Tuig is helping me as well. A lot of friends of hers are helping out and um, making a few cakes and different things like that. So we're getting a good good lot of help for Tom's sake, but he is he's delighted and he's really looking forward to it, especially his day out. And have <laughs> so, you have you ever organised an art exhibition before? No, I know nothing mm. about art. I know nothing about um, organising events, but. We said we'd give a stab at it um, for Tom's sake and, and try and do as much as we could. And thankfully, there's, there's few people around that are artists themselves that have offered to give us a helping hand as well. So it's great. We've, we've some great support. But it's just to get the word out. Well, you're showing incredible humanity, I have to say. And Tom is very lucky that you walked into his life that day in, in Lourdes. And I know if he could talk himself, I'm, I'm sure that's the message he'd want to get across this morning. So... Karen Savage take a bow as well you you are an, an incredible young person well done Not okay pass you. on our best wishes to Tom I really WhatsApp do. in those pictures to us and uh, John Paul will do the magic on it and we'll get it up on our really. Facebook uh, page and uh, thanks a million for joining us Karen and thank you so much for giving this airtime. good really luck with it, it. bye 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 bye, bye. Uh, Karen Savage there organising that art exhibition please get the message and the word out to people if you're in and around Middleton next weekend my place in Middleton is where Tom Lee is going to have an incredible art exhibition and it would just be fabulous to pack it out certainly the opening on Friday night to pack it out but to get lots of people in there over the weekend uh, to buy some of the pieces if you may be looking for a piece nice wedding present wouldn't that make a nice present uh, for somebody best of luck to Tom Leahy Parry Olympian from Ballyhooley on his art exhibition You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Heidi says, morning Patricia, so pleased to hear you talking about apprenticeships on the programme today. Uh, When I left school at 15 years of age, all guys and gals were going to apprenticeships, be they electricians, mechanics, carpenters, plasterers, builders, etc. But we had career officers come to our school to speak to each child to actually see what they wanted to do. If we don't have these services, then nobody, then we will have nobody house building, we'll have no electricians, we'll have no plumbers, etc. and so forth. Yeah, and that is the big problem. It's one of the reasons that Margaret Murphy O'Mahony 
says she's highlighting the issue is because there's already a skills shortage there. So we need to do something now about the skills shortage and the best way to do it is to plan for the future. We, we already know there's a skill shortage now so going forward that's only going to get worse. So we now need to be doing a big push. We need to be sending career either career guidance teachers need to be pushing the apprenticeships or we need to be sending in skilled workers who came up through the apprenticeship to sell the stories and to explain to young people how advantageous it is to become an apprenticeship uh, to take on an apprenticeship and how you can go on and you know have a great life and as one listener said her friend's son was almost being ridiculed for doing an apprenticeship and now he's earning more than all of his friends who went on to third level education so there's great career choices there as well Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp we were talking about homelessness and that awful story that's making the front page of the mirror of families who are living in hotels and B&Bs in Dublin and of course there's a huge amount of homeless families living in emergency accommodation in Dublin and families finding it very very difficult to feed their children because it's trying to cook for them you can't cook in a hotel room and if you're eating out all of the time if you're buying takeaway foods I mean just even the thought of buying takeaway foods all the time for children I mean it's just how are they even getting a healthy diet so many of them now are turning to soup kitchens and there's the soup kitchen in Dublin that the photographs were taken on is on the side of the street. The, the, it doesn't have what we have here in Cork with the penny dinners. And I'm sure there's probably something similar going on in Dublin. Does Brother Kevin organise something similar? But obviously there's too many people to be accommodated. So they're on the side of the street getting their hot meal and then to see families, you know, a mother and her three young children sitting on the side of the road, like sitting on the curb, you know, getting the food into them while it's hot. It's just, it's pitiful. In 2019, in a country that's meant to be so affluent, you, just, you question, you know, it's just not evenly spread. The People are, I mean, there's definitely, the country is improving and people are getting back to work and the, con- the government are taking in more taxes. And, you know, we are doing well in this country, but not everybody is doing well. And when you just look at photographs like that, it just kind of stops you dead uh, in your track. Uh, tracks. Anthony says, I visited a homeless shelter last night. I went to see a friend of mine. I sat in a room with a few people who were homeless. It was just so nice to chat to them all. Spend time with homeless people, as some of them may not have any visitors uh, at all. It's uh, nice to have time for others and to give something back as people need people. How right you are. Well done uh, to you, Anthony. Continue uh, to do that, uh, visiting homeless people and just to spend time with them. We spoke about uh, Paralympics. And in particular about Tom Leahy, the amazing Tom Leahy, a man in his 60s living in Ballyhooley in North Cork all of his life, born with cerebral palsy. He had incredible success as a Paralympian. And then what we didn't know was he's also been an incredible artist and that art exhibition going on in my place in Middleton next weekend. And we just wish him so much love and luck with it. I really hope it's a roaring success uh, for him. But Karen was making the point that as a Paralympian with all of the gold medals he won, he's just not recognised the same way as, say, an able-bodied person who'd won a similar amount of medals at the Olympics. But that prompted Michael from Bantry when he heard us talk about the Paralympics to say, Hi, I have bipolar. I don't qualify for What's a special, I take it you mean Paralympics, because my disability is mental, not physical. People with schizophrenia and Asperger's all also have the same dilemma. So I just looked up the qualification for Paralympian. They 
the disability needs to impact the sport's performance and they have to meet minimum age requirement. People who are mildly autistic or Asperger's, it was mentioned there, are not likely to qualify. But Paralympic athletes traditionally compete in six different disability groups. There's amputee, there's cerebral palsy that Tom would have been in, visual impairment, there is a spinal cord injury section, there is an intellectual disability section and then there's another called les autres, the others basically, and they're athletes whose disability doesn't fit into any of the categories and that normally is dwarfism. But certainly intellectual disability is mentioned uh, on it, but a mental disability uh, isn't. I don't know if there's other games. And by the way, just to, because that is something that always annoys people. Special Olympics and Paralympics are two very, very different things. The Paralympics are run along the very same lines as the Olympic Games and they happen just after the Olympic Games. The Special Olympics are for people with special needs and intellectual disabilities. And it's very, very different run as as well as all of the other Olympics but it's it's very different and I know when people talk about the Paralympics they have a tendency to say Special Olympics and they're two completely different uh, organisations um, but I don't know if there's any type of Olympics for people who suffer with a mental disability if anybody knows and we can point Michael from Bantry in the direction 1850 can I mention a black and white cat that went missing on Sunday last from Newtown in Bantry it's an adored pet please contact uh, Claire number two Rainbow Cottages in Bolia Nua if you found a black and white cat missing in the Bantry area since Sunday last and there's nothing like a much loved pet going missing. And Jerry from Bantir says, Patricia, handshake. This is back again to the president not shaking hands with the children when they lined out with the team at the soccer match last night. And it's really divided people. People are annoyed with Michael T. Higgins, even though I still defend him saying, I reckon he was told move along. We don't have time for all of this. Jerry says, Patricia, a handshake takes about three seconds. It was sad to see some of those children looking up into his little, into his little face. He has a little face. Into his face and being ignored. No excuse for that. And that comes in from uh, Jerry in Bantir. Uh, 1850-333-103. Our lines are open. John Paul it, taking your calls. You can text your WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Sportivan Soccer Club, they would run from the 15th of July to the 19th of July. The closing date for entries, though, is the 15th of June, so you need to get working on that. Call John at 87 Blood Transfusion Service Board of Donut Clinics in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen. Uh, today, Tuesday, and again tomorrow, Wednesday, 3 to 5 in the afternoon and 7 to 9 at night. Please give blood. It's particularly important in the summer months. The Parents Association of Skull Own Borsta in Kilbrin are holding a fun table quiz in Kilbrin Social Club. That's on tonight, 9pm. Tables are €4.20. Euro. And today sees the return of the car treasure hunt as part of the Bell of Balancholic festivities. Registration starts at half past six this evening. Last car out is seven and the last check will be at nine o'clock tonight. First prize, €100. Second prize uh, is 75 and the third prize is €50. To add colour to the event, a number of vintage cars are expected to take part. And the Shandon Area History Group are inviting you to join Anne Toomey 
for a stroll through the Victorian quarters of Cork tomorrow evening. Meet by the Summerhill end of McCurtain Street at 7. And a prayer evening in Theo Park, Labamalaga will be held tomorrow night and that's between 5pm and 7pm. C103 invites you to take a seat for Mick Flannery's Evening Train. Experience a mix of vibrant dance and opera with a different wolf. And join the party for a bite and a boogie at the public kitchen. Cork Midsummer Festival has entertainment for everyone. Experience a celebration of the arts from June 13th to 23rd. See CorkMidsummer.com for more. Cork Midsummer Festival with C103. Now, I don't know how many people have been following the story of Helen Maguire and Christine Skipsy who have known each other as mother and daughter and believed they were mother and daughter for more than 50 years and then they discovered that there was a baby mix-up. And the nuns who were involved, it was the religious order who ran St. Patrick's Guild in Dublin. It was in that home where the baby mix-up happened. They finally now come out and said that they can't shed any light on the matter. And they say because the nuns who would have been involved back in the 60s when this baby mix-up happened are all now dead. So they kind of have no idea at all as to how and what happened. Helen Maguire is the mother. She's a 71-year-old. She handed in her newborn baby to the nuns in St. Patrick's Guild in Dublin and she asked them to look after the baby. This was back in 1966. But DNA results have now revealed that the baby that was handed back to her a number of weeks later when she went back to collect her little girl was not her biological uh, daughter. Both mother and daughter now are absolutely devastated. They're searching for answers. They found out about this July, I think, of last year. And a key question is whether the mix-up was accidental or was it intentional? But the quest for the truth is going to be hampered now by the fact that those that were involved, the nuns that were there at that time, um, have all died. And obviously all of the files pertaining to St. Patrick's Guild over the years, they would all have been handed over to uh, Tusla. And I know that Tusla are providing assistance to both Helen and to Christine. Now, what actually it seems happened was Helen Maguire um, became pregnant in, she was in, I think she was actually living in London at the time or else when she became pregnant. No, she was working in Dublin at the time. She was 18, she became pregnant. She was from New New Inn in County Tipperary. So she worked in Dublin, she became pre- pregnant. She went over to London and she had the baby in London in November of 1966, but she did not want to give her baby up for adoption. But nobody back home, her parents, friends, nobody knew that she'd been pregnant and gone to London to have this child. So she was caught in a bit of a dilemma. She wanted to keep the, ba- the baby, but because her parents didn't know and she was terrified that her father was going to force her to give the baby up for uh, adoption, she needed somewhere to leave the baby until she could sort everything out and I suppose sort out a place to live and work out what she was going to do. And she also wanted to visit her parents. And I'm assuming maybe suss out and see what they would, you know, if they would be able to help her out uh, or not. And at the time, one father, Michael Cleary, was a chaplain in the Irish community in London and she contacted him and it was he suggested go back to Ireland, hand the baby in to St. Patrick's Guild and they look after the baby while you go sort out your affairs. So that's exactly what Helen Maguire did. She handed the baby uh, in. She made it very clear 
that she would not be giving the baby up for adoption. She refused to sign any papers presented to her by uh, the nuns. And she actually had an intake form and on it she noted her intention to keep the baby and there was further confirmation in a letter that she also handed in when she handed over the baby to St. Patrick's Guild. When she returned to collect her daughter, which was about six weeks later, so I'm assuming she handed in probably a one-week-old baby and now roll on six weeks time for her to collect the baby. She said she was briefly suspicious in that the baby that was handed, a newborn baby, as you can't say, she'd know your own baby, wouldn't you? But your new year an 18-year-old who'd maybe never been around a newborn baby, they all kind of look the same when they're newborn. And then six weeks later, they can change. So when she was handed the baby back, the first thing that raised her suspicions was that the baby she had given birth to had very dark hair. But the baby that she was now being presented with six weeks later, had blonde hair. And she did at the time say to the nuns, are you sure that's my baby? And said, my baby was born with dark hair. And one of the nuns said to her, sure all babies are born with dark hair. And then some hang on to dark hair and some go red and some go brown and some go blonde. So she took it, you know, the nuns weren't going to lie to her. And um, off she went on her merry way. And then they discovered they went for some kind of DNA testing. And I don't know why they went for the DNA testing. But anyway, last summer it revealed they could not have possibly been uh, mother and uh, daughter. And she then, they then both, Helen and her daughter, Christine, because she still looks on her as her daughter and Christine still looks on Helen as her mother. They've been doing their best to try to identify what has gone on. And obviously Helen Maguire is trying to identify her biological daughter. It's now believed from the information they've managed to get so far that her birth daughter was adopted by a marriage couple in Dublin. But I don't know if they've been able to track down and that's going to be a bit of a shock for the family if they're still alive and more than likely they are. it'll be a shock for them to discover that the baby they adopted wasn't really a baby that was up for adoption at all and for the girl that was uh, adopted so there's a lot more to go on that if we'll ever get to the bottom of it but of course the big one from St. Patrick's Guild point of view and it's questions some of the questions they haven't I mean all they've really come out and said is that we can't shed any light on the matter because the nuns involved are no longer, they're departed, so they're no longer with us, so we can't uh, help you. And when they were asked if they thought there could have been any other cases where babies uh, were uh, swapped, they didn't answer that question. They were also asked how many unmarried mothers may have been referred to St. Patrick's Guild by Father Michael Cleary, of course, who was known to all of us as the singing priest when he was chaplain in London. Did he send many girls back to St. Patrick's Guild? But they were the kind of questions that have remained unanswered. Now, Tusla have all and any inquiries obviously now have been referred to uh, Tusla to the Adoption Authority and I'm assuming all of the adoption records held at St. Patrick's Guild would have been passed over to Tusla but how many of those records are accurate and that they're all still there and then you know it's been proven in the past that some of the records that were kept were inaccurate there was lies told and some of the some of the records weren't kept properly at all so it's hard when you look at that re- those records if you can believe everything that you're actually uh, seeing but it's one of those another one of those shocking stories we've had so many stories come out from unmarried mothers and adoptions and babies sold and babies adopted illegally. But, you know, this is this is a new one now where a baby was actually given up for adoption. Now, you would 
hand on heart I would love and hope to think that it was a genuine mistake that the babies were all in a nursery together did a baby end up in a wrong cot we're talking about 1966 they would you know would they've had tags on the babies uh, you know little hands like we do in hospitals here you would like to think that it was just a mistake that's I mean I would hate to think that somebody deliberately had decided to give a baby up for adoption knowing that this young mother had handed the baby in saying I'm just putting my affairs in order I will be back for my baby made it very clear on an intake take form no intention of her baby going for adoption and also confirmed in a letter to St. Patrick's Gills that you're just looking after my baby while I set my affairs in order. So you would hate to think that somebody knew all that information and still sent the baby for adoption. But as I say, will we ever get to the bottom of it? It seems unlikely. 1850 John Paul, taking your calls. If you want to text or WhatsApp, you can to 0862-103-103. And just a final couple of t- calls in before we go to uh, Joe M- M- Marie. In Glanmire. This is on apprenticeships. Says it is so hard to find a handyman, a plumber, or an electrician these days. I was waiting eight days for a plumber last week due to all in my area being very busy. Now, I think a lot of people will identify with that. The plumbers and electricians that are out there are working flat out. And if it's a very small job, I think people struggle. You know, because if, if a plumber or electrician is very busy and you have a small job to do, I take it you'll go way down the pecking order for the electrician he's going to or the plumber. They're going to take on the bigger jobs. But you're not on your own, Marie. I, I've heard of that and we've certainly heard about that before in the programme of people having to wait a lengthy period of time because all of our tradesmen, tradesmen and women are working so uh, flat out. And Cloda, this is... Um, how would people feel about having to pay water charges and the dirty word of water charges are back in the agenda again. Claudia says, I am not paying twice for water as we are already paying for it in our taxes. That was the whole agreement first time round. This excessive charge was mentioned before. It was €250. Now it's gone to €500. How do we know it won't double again and it'll be €1,000. It's been capped at €500. The €250 is for water in Clodagh and the €250 is for water out. That's how they're coming up with the €500 and capping it at that. But you are right, there is nothing to stop future governments deciding that excess water charges will continue to rise. Uh, You're spot on with that. Okay, going to take a break and we're back chatting with uh, Joe Heffernan and today we're looking at technology and are we overusing technology and the effect it's having. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We're going to Bohuk where we're joined by Joe Heffernan. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And today we are looking at technology and are we all using technology too much? I suppose the first point to make is technology is great. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, it's so wonderful that, um, you know, an issue comes up, a name that you can't really recall, something. You go to the old phone or the computer uh, Google it in, and there you have all the information. And um, I mean, that is fantastic. And uh, communication is great. Like, um, we have our young men now overseas in the Cayman Islands, and you know, we can have a chat at night and a video chat yeah. on WhatsApp. And um, you know, in the old days, that would be next to impossible and uh, would probably. Um, entail a gigantic phone bill as well. You'd be waiting on letters and and photographs of the grandchildren, whereas now, in real time, on a screen in front of you, 
you yeah. can actually see them grow up, which is fantastic. It is. It's it great. Is. There are so many brilliant steps in the right direction uh, with that, indeed. Yeah. But then the downside mm. was spending too much time on our contraptions, phones, tablets, laptops, whatever. Well, this is the thing. I mean, there was... Um, uh, this is uh, these are old figures now. They're they're almost definitely uh, worse now. But um, there was a sample of two thousand Americans, and twenty five percent of those surveyed felt that their partners were distracted by their phones when they were together, and that in in uh, one in ten couples had an argument about this. Um, that was impinging very negatively on their relationship. Now, in the younger age group then, that should be now, say, in the early and mid-20s, it was even worse. 42% said that their partner had been distracted by their phone, and around one in five couples had had an argument about that. Um, and almost definitely those figures now would be higher. I, yeah, I absolutely agree because mm. any, anywhere you go, you mm. will see people, if you're out in, in a pub, if you're out in a restaurant, even walking down the street. Absolutely. People's heads are down and they're looking at a, at a smartphone. Yeah, and the, the, the thing is like this, I mean, we, we're kind of living our lives to a great degree, our you know, through a screen. I mean, what I can't get at all is we'd say, no, if I was watching a bit of golf on the, on the television and I see the people all around the tee all holding their phones up, looking at the screen and we'll say recording, we'll say Tiger Woods now on the tee uh, driving uh, the golf ball. Mm. But sure, if they put the phone down, he's actually really there. <laughs> you might as well stay at home and watch it on TV because that's well, what you're doing, looking and, at it through and, a screen. And you'd have a better screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good point. And it, that's the same. You'll see that everywhere, though. You'll see that at live concerts. Um, and you see, it, particularly, I, it always annoys me when you see people recording children. And I feel the same. Put down your phone <laughs> and enjoy this moment with your children yeah. instead of trying to capture the perfect picture or to capture the perfect video. Watch yeah. it in real time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, I I really don't get that. That when you're actually there and when the real person is actually still there as well. Why would you be recording them uh, in, as the instance I gave hitting the golf ball um, on on a smartphone when when you really are there? I mean, what's the point in going up to Lehinch, we'll say, for the Irish Open and seeing it through your phone? Sit at home and watch it in the comfort of... Well, of there you are. Yeah. You know, it's and actually, when, when I mentioned earlier that you were going to be on the programme uh, talking about this and I did make the point it isn't just young people because you'll see this right across the generations yeah, yeah. but one listener texted in to say that she had been in Charleville on Sunday night and there was a group of 15, 14 and 15 year olds they were obviously a team coming back either coming back from training or coming back from a match and they stopped off for ice creams and they were all standing around having their ice creams and she said it was just fantastic to watch not one of them had a phone in their hand right. and they were all interacting and talking to each other and isn't that great yeah and she said it really was lovely to see it yeah it's, but what you know what struck me was it's now so rare to see yeah. a group like that without <laughs> half of them on their phones that it stuck out in her mind it's remarkable yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it yeah. is I um, was only talking to um, uh, a good friend this morning we were having an old chat over a cup of coffee 
And I was saying like that I remember in my young days, um, we used to climb this particular tree. And if you, the, the kind of initiation ceremony into the gang was there was a fairly high old branch on the tree. And if you were brave enough to jump off that, you were in the gang. And we were down the fields and um, swimming in the black water and all that kind of thing. And um, do you know what? It was um, a, a more real world rather than living in a kind of a virtual world. And of course, um, with young clients that I would be working with um, in, in, my, in my work, um, are the amount of trouble that, um, uh, you know, that the, the, the Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, all of that are causing, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, um, you know, people are being unfriended, people are being blocked. Um, not liking someone's photograph. All of that. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 and I mean, it's causing real, real, real hardship and trouble. Um, and people feel very excluded. Um, because they're not uh, included in whatever um, postings are going on. I'm learning yeah. all the words now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. When you I, can, have, to hear you can have a WhatsApp group and one friend gets excluded from it. And I mean, it's it's a form of bullying, really, because they're getting excluded from what's going on with the rest of the gang. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, uh, uh, that's not a good feeling. No, um, no. You know, there was a time if some young person said to me that they posted something, I think they went over to the village and put in a letter. <laughs> but no, that's um, be... I'm I'm learning the new language. Yeah, but but you're saying the effect that it's having yeah, on yeah. on young people and technology. I mean, you work with addiction; it's addictive, isn't it? Very, very addictive. I remember we did a program a couple of years ago, and um, there was one kind of a startling. I thought was. I read it a few times and I thought, God, should I verify that before you'd say it to anyone? That somebody, some dad had paid something like £16,000 uh, sterling um, for a detox from uh, tech stuff um, uh, for a daughter. And and I thought, that's that's not right. Um, you know, that's yeah. the, but it was because I checked it out and... Um, and it was, and there's been a couple of books written as well about more. And of it was this. a de- to try to detox from technology. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And I mean, I, 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 I know in my way, in my own personal way, what goes on. I mean, if I'm at dinner and uh, the phone is out in the hallway, and um, I, I must remember now in future to have it on silent because. When it go, you know the 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 phone that I have, um, it just keeps on calling you if you've got a an email or or a notification, and the kind of beep, and then a couple of uh, maybe half a minute later beep, and I I'm always I'm tempted you know in the middle of dinner go out to the hall check what's after coming in. So I've a new thing going now in that it goes in the hall, yes, but it also goes on silent. Yes, you can't be tempted. There's something it's about not it, annoying you. you. You feel kind of obliged uh, to respond. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so, your, your, so your message today, I mean, okay, we're not, technology is good. We've gone through all of that, but it, there, there are downsides uh, to it. You suggest setting aside a no technology time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, uh, every every home and um, especially those with, with younger 
um, people, um, say teenagers, etc., that there should be an old technology time set aside. Now, I suppose the ideal would be um, uh, maybe an hour before uh, or, or more, whatever, be, before bedtime. That it, you know, there could be a discussion about it. It could be agreed. Um, I was talking to JP. <coughs> I beg your pardon. I was talking to JP there a little tiny bit earlier, and um, he was saying that he had read in the paper today, I think, about some survey to do with sleep, and um, you know that apparently um, screens in the bedroom. Um, How bad they are for you. Bad news, and if you wake up, that um, uh, I suppose it's the melatonin thing and uh, the what is it, the circadian clock and yeah. all of that yeah. being um, fooled. And the amount of people who fall asleep with the TV on in their room. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a staggering, it's, a, it's yeah. a, sta- a staggering figure. But this is no technology at all. So, so, so you set aside a time, as you say, was well, a couple of hours every day. But you certainly get all the all the technology out of the room. And I know when we've had experts on about this before, and when inevitably get somebody say, "Oh, I use my phone; it's my alarm clock." Go out and buy an alarm clock. Go out and buy an old-fashioned alarm yeah. clock. It'll wake you up. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you know, we all here too. No, I I break this rule now and again, and. Um, you know, I suppose when you're good. Today is my 73rd birthday. I was know. keeping it until the end to there mention it. You are. <laughs> but, um, Happy birthday to you. Thank you so much. That um, as you're getting older, um, there can be a few calls in the middle of the night. And um, it's kind of recommended not to go looking up the time. Um, you know, I, I, I might wait there and I might be hoping that I'd see 6.30 a.m., which would be very acceptable. And I might see 2.15 um, but it's it's kind of recommended not to go checking the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you have the, um, you know, the the the, the lit up um, uh, timepiece, well, then you 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 really can't avoid it, and and it's a bit in your face. So yeah, to 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 try and make the bedroom a place of no technology, you know, a window open to allow in some nice fresh air and um, no technology and you've just increased your chances of a good night's sleep. And then for the family, it's everybody get together and it, it, you know, if you've got teenagers, you will have a battle on your hands with this. But yeah. if you make a decision that for an hour of every day or for one afternoon a week, everybody switches off their phones and, and, and you chat as a family. Like one man mentioned to me when I, when I said you were coming on, he has three teenage daughters and the only time he said, um, Dermot says, I have three teenage daughters, the only time they talk to me is when they want money. They're <laughs> right. on their phones all of the yeah, time. Yeah, You know, yeah. so start introducing something to say, look, as a family, we need to start communicating here, folks. Yeah, yeah. And it's lovely to have an old chat and, you know, how are things going and, you know, um, People will bring up stuff that's concerning them, and uh, and that's real life. That's real people talking to each other. Um, uh, I, I I suppose you'd. It's great, you know, if a family would get together and agree um, uh, what they would um, like to do with this kind of a uh, technology agreement or whatever, um, so that everyone would feel that they were part of it. That it wasn't as it were imposed on them. Yeah, I know last summer when we had a family gathering up the north and there was a lot of teenagers and 
I was the one who introduced it, the dragon ant. I suggested that at mealtimes we all ate collectively as a big group. Uh, we all had an evening meal together and I got a basket and said everyone has to put their phones into the basket and you don't. You, we all sat down, we had a meal together, which probably lasted about an hour and a half every night and then you were allowed to get your phone out after that. And I have to say the older people were as annoyed handing over the phones as the younger ones were. Yes. But you could physically see with the younger ones they were nearly getting with all symptoms. Yes. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. It's um, it's like as if a vital part of one's life is being taken away. And um, yeah, and and I'd say that in the coming years, and you know, before before ever the thing took off big time, um, I used to be um, referring to it that um, that it would become. A real, real, real problem. And I think we're getting there. I do as well. I do as well. Mary says, I have one day a week without technology. Designates a day, no technology. Right. That's good if you can pull that off. That's indeed. That. Indeed. Now, I suppose, the as we're talking along there, I'm kind of thinking um, that, um, uh, you see, there's technology and technology. But at the same time, I mean... If you if you're waiting for a phone call, I know, I know, it that, isn't always possible. That's a different yeah. thing. Yeah, well, you have to limit it, I suppose. You do. I suppose what Mary means, if I was t- trying to do no technology day, okay, the phone will be there if I needed to take a call, but yeah. I wouldn't go on it for social media. There I you go, go. Don't go on it to Google anything. Yeah. And I'm I'm a great fan of the googling. Yeah. Um, technology says a listener can be like a tool. It can be used for good or for bad. For example, yeah. a hammer can be used to hurt someone, but can also be used to build a bridge. Absolutely. And, you know, doesn't that go true for everything in life? I mean, those who can take a sociable drink, um, uh, a glass of wine with dinner, etc. Um, I, I can't remember where the saying come, comes from. Um, a little wine is good for the soul or something like that. Then for others, it can kill you. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it thing. gets into extremes. Well, I suppose more than anything today, just to try and get the message across to people, get the conversation going at home about yeah. technology and just see if you can come up with something in your household you might be able to do it daily or even if it's a couple of hours a week or one hour a week to start with and just see if you can get that conversation going with your young people that we everyone would stay on the phones let's have a chat yeah and to just sit around and say right let's make an agreement that we'll say during dinner for that hour um you know, we'll 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 get Patricia to come along with her basket, <laughs> and we'll put all the phones into the basket for an hour, and we'll just act as real human beings conversing with one another. Okay, and it was a large basket because okay. there was twenty nine people. Oh, okay, okay, listen, we leave it there. Have a fantastic birthday! And are you. you doing anything special tonight, or not really? No, no. no. Um, we went on a little trip. Um, it kind of combined Mary's seventieth and my seventy third. And uh, it was most pleasant. Um, but um, you're more than likely now the the the, the lads will um, they'll they'll suggest something like um, a bit of uh, a bit of food and cards right. together. And you'll uh, you'll, or, stay, you'll stay off your phone. Yeah, and you'll yeah, stay off your phone. We went to the vintage in um, in in Cantork, and uh, you know we always enjoy that. And okay. um, something like that. Now maybe on Saturday night, but. Um, 
Yeah, fairly low-key. And a woman never shares her age, by the way, so you better go back and oh deal God. with Mary right, on that one. Listen, right. have a good birthday. I will right. talk to you next week. Thanks a million. That's uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohoboe, uh, 029 That's where I leave it for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. We're bringing the biggest stars to live at the Marquee 2019. Listen this free Ticket Thursday to win your way in. Only on C103. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.